All right, Cleaner Than Your Vegetables podcast. We're so happy to be here with uh, Manny Alvarez from Bird Valley Organics. Um, Like always, uh, this podcast is brought to you by EnviroCan. Um, We're here to discuss, debate, and address the issues arising from navigating the cannabis, hemp, and boutique ag industries. So, um, Manny, I've known you for quite a few years now, Um, watched you and your wife and your group go through from kind of the medical age and on but right now we're in a really interesting kind of transition period a few few months into the the covid world and uh you've do a lot of things but you also have a distribution company the last few years so you've been out on the road have folks on the road so um what is the you know what's the retail situation and how the supply chain and cannabis going right now it's a good place to start i figure it's uh, it's definitely weird, and it's definitely regional. I'd say uh, it's it could, it could go from county to county uh, differences. It can go from, uh, you know, as just a preference of like you know belief in belief system in COVID. You know, some yeah. people are like this is a joke, and some people are like please stay ten feet away. Yeah, it's interesting. And so uh, dealing with that dynamic, you know, our sales reps have definitely had to make some adjustments in how they approach the buyers. Um, you know, luckily they have some really solid relationships to where you know text messages suffice but there's some that you have to show up you know there's some buyers that just do not even pick up their phone and if you're not showing up there weekly bi-weekly you know saying hi uh you're not getting an order yeah and that whole dynamic has changed and yeah it's interesting i've heard the numbers of where we had the news stories of people rushing in and hoarding it like it's toilet paper. Oh, yeah. But then also we've heard, you know, more in, internally in cannabis in these discussions that, you know, the L.A. market is contracted around 30 yes. percent. Uh, we're here in Santa Cruz. I've heard similar things from local dispensary owners. Yep. But you also have brought up a really good point is that it's really regional and it's not just the attitudes on COVID, which is a whole nother conversation about politics in California, probably, but right. also about Folks who have shops that are dependent on, you know, locals shopping have been better off, right? And some bigger cities that have a lot of tourists flow through the whole time have been taking down. major drops. And we were talking before the the show of, like, what does California regulated cannabis look like without a tourist industry? I, things. And so these are the questions we might get to this this summer and over the next few years. but um, but yeah, any other observations about things? Yeah. There's some folks are doing well or staying afloat and in the, through this. And most folks I talk to are confident that they're going to make it to the so, other side of this, right? Some folks are straight up thriving. Yeah. Um, and and some are hurting by sixty percent sometimes. Hmm. Uh, in San Francisco, I found that a lot of our accounts actually pretty much every single one of our accounts is, is hurting at least by 30%. Um, you know, the tourist market in San Francisco is, is big. And, you know, the local market, it, you know, it, it, they have their preference and then they have their their loyalty to specific places. Yeah. So those those accounts are, are, you know, locking that down. But, you know, I have some shops that have, you know, dab lounges and smoke lounges. Yeah. And they depend a large percentage on, you know, the tourist influx. You know, yeah. they're off of Market Street. They're off of, you know, areas where there's not a lot of local influx and 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 it's all pretty much all tourists so they're hurting they've had to pivot you know to delivery because if you don't have delivery right now um 
you're you're seeing a lot of uh, you're not seeing a lot of good sales. Yeah, and that's that, I mean that's something else that's happened outside of the cannabis as well. But everyone's having to pivot to new business models oh, and mean. a lot of and so how are we seeing? You know, we know the retailers have gone to you know curbside pickup things yep. like that. How is it yep. affecting the uh, some of the products and that you're carrying as a distributor and how are they doing in all this? So, product makers and growers. I I mean it's I I gotta say uh, March and April were the highest selling months in our company history because everyone was restocking because everybody was restocking and we did a lot of 420 deals to to cater yeah. to like people that were unemployed and we had a, we offered a lot of good deals so people you know really really stocked up uh but we've been seeing a steady trend i actually thought that after the week of 420 we were going to have another lull and then it was going to bounce back up but we actually did not see any lull it's actually been sp- skyrocketing yeah uh this whole time so people are smoking their weed yeah yeah, I mean, just anecdotally, if somebody gets a two-week supply, three-month supply, it's probably going to last a month or so, yeah. especially when you're sitting on your Zoom meetings or sitting on the couch or on hold with unemployment or whatever folks are doing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that we're going to have – it's in some ways – Cannabis has fared a lot better than other industries, obviously being deemed essential. And and uh, but yeah, it's, I don't think we're completely insulated from the world ahead. No, but um, but yeah, I mean that's it's great to hear um, the firsthand accounts of what's going on out there. Um, and then also, so we got got you here. Um, I figure we start with just how you and Terry came to Santa Cruz, the the mission, how it got rolling and what it's evolved to and i think we'll um hit on some of the really cool things that you're doing on the way but um i'm not mistaken you guys came from miami yeah right yeah um so we're we're both um from cuban uh cuban parents so we're both actually had the food yeah yeah (laughs) we're we're both from first generation so there's a dynamic there when you're a first gen yeah uh you know you, you you grow up a little confused in the beginning you know you don't really know you don't really know where you fit in yeah uh you know and and we both had a lot of that uh commonality growing up um but at the same time we we both had the hippie mentality i like to say in a place where hippies weren't welcome yeah and so we clashed a lot with with a lot of our peers like growing up and and even though we're both uh i could say outgoing and able to kind of mesh through we didn't we didn't you know uh really agree with a lot of the ways that people thought of so we thought man california is exactly what we always wanted and i i've been a a weed consumer um since really really young i actually um i used to use use it to cope with stress yeah uh i i grew up very very um i had a hard uh childhood growing up and so uh the only thing that i found solace in was in smoking weed yeah and And so and i i consider there's i'm blessed to know a lot of them but i consider your guys story you know, cannabis refugees in some sense, right? Yeah. Is that you're yeah, coming yeah. from the place that you came from yep. where, it, you know, use of the plant for whatever reasons was considered bad. And so the medical consciousness and then you guys came out here and plugged right into the, you know, start of this kind of the 
medical system turning into like a more out in the open business models sure. and went through, how'd you, so how'd you land in California? Our, what'd our, you start with? Our objective really at the end of the day, we really didn't know how, what, how, what kind of business model we were going to do. I just knew that I wanted to grow weed and I wanted to live off it. Yeah. I didn't even care if I made a lot of money. Like if I made enough to pay my bills and my nine to five was growing weed, yeah. that was my objective. And this, this is in the Prop 215, SB 420, you know, yeah. obeying the law oh, the, yeah. of then and and yep. having your collective and providing for those folks yep. and getting rid of your excess. Yeah, we showed up um, in March of 2011, and we, you know, we we decided early on. Uh, we saw a documentary in 2004 of Oaksterdam University yeah. and what was going on over here. And I yeah. took a trip out here, and I I bought weed from a really dingy medicinal uh, um, um, dispensary in uh, Long Beach yeah. at the time. And I just couldn't believe that I was able to buy it over yeah. the counter. I was just enamored by it, and. So that seed was planted in my head. So when I went back to Miami, uh, I just I couldn't I couldn't get that out of my head. I'm yeah. like, how do people do that? Like, how does that guy behind the counter get a paycheck? Like, how how is this possible that these yeah. people are doing this? And you know, I, I I come from you know selling weed when I was a kid. I've been selling to since really really young. Yeah. Um. And I was just like, how I, I need to do this for a living. And yeah. so we packed our Penske, a 28 foot Penske truck, uh, with our three dogs, our cat, our two ferrets. <laughs> And we and our gecko, and we went <laughs> across the country, and we landed here, and we went to. Um, we knew that we didn't know where we were, where we were gonna call our home yet. Yeah. We just knew we needed to land in Oakland, uh-huh. uh, so that we can go to Oaksterdam. Yeah. And so that was the objective. And so we come from a conventional farming background. Oh, great. Uh, my my wife Terry, she's um she's third generation farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, her grandfather was a rice farmer in Cuba. He farmed wow. rice commercially, and then her dad actually has a PhD in agronomy. And he actually was a uh, um, uh, took over the business, turned it into a, a huge conglomerate. And then when uh, when the revolution happened in Cuba, he actually lost all his land. Yeah. Um, so he was wiped clean. He was actually ver- they're actually very well off family. And so they went from from classy to ashy really quick. And so when they ended up in this country, you know, they had to they had to start, start from over. scratch. Yeah. And so you know they have that. Uh, tenacity to to make it through, and you know they were able to. I mean, her dad ended up having an 80 acre uh, guava business that you know was very very successful. Yeah. So we went in and tweaked it a little bit and, and kind of upped the ante a little bit. You know, Terry was able to put in the first PLU sticker mm-hmm. to because there was no guava being sold that was American grown um, at the time in the 90s and so she was able to implement she's like yay dad for us to sell to walmart and these people that are coming out hard we need to get a plu sticker on this thing and so they she actually came up with a guava plu that's still being used today yeah so her family has gone from rice to guavas to now cannabis to now cannabis us yeah that's amazing generational story really it's pretty it's pretty nuts and i worked on the farm when i when i got with terry i worked on the farm for a little bit and i i learned the ropes um and i just but to me i always felt like it was so factory produced because it was a conventional farm mm-hmm. and these are rows and rows of 12 foot guava trees yeah, yeah. so you know I, I was never really fulfilled and neither was really she yeah so you land in california, land in california. you know you want a farm and you've yeah. already got this kind of sustainable ethos yes you know you want to do it organic but you've learned this generational lessons from being lucky enough to marry a farming princess yeah. you're right yeah so and, uh, we figured Oaksterdam was the way right yeah. like we got to start here so we landed here and uh, literally we got here march 6 and we went to Oaksterdam to see when the when the classes were starting to register and they said oh yeah they actually start tomorrow march 7th yeah so we actually literally started the next day with our truck still full of all of our stuff wow um and and we started so school you full went to time Oaksterdam before you unpacked before we even unpacked wow yeah and then so then you had your know, the 
first venture into California cannabis was indoor yeah, grow. Indoor grow. Yep. Great. Yeah. Yep. It's like a lot of people we started indoor. And then you cut your teeth with that. And yeah. Two found, years. Yeah. Found your way into yep. some sort of rural property. Yep. Right. And, in Garberville. Yeah. Oh, in Garberville. We landed in. So. So. Okay. So the, what made us leave the indoor life and realize that we wanted more was we, we found a trimming. We had a we had a shitty crop. That yeah. one time we were, you know, we were pulling off a pound per light yeah. and then the, uh, we had a crop that we pulled off 40% less yep. and we were like literally eating ramen noodles for like a month and a yeah. half. Yeah. Um, and so we're like, Hey, we need some work. And somebody gave us work up in Garberville to go trim. So we spent a month up there, literally 30 days straight, 12 hour days. We were working for 20 bucks an hour, each of us. Yeah. So we came back with almost 11 K and yep. that, that put us over the, you know, we were able to survive, get to get over to the next hump. But then we were like, man, these trees are massive. Garberville style. Yeah. Outside growing, outside growing these yeah. two, 15 foot sour diesels. Um, and I'm just like, wow, these things could really take off outside. And uh, we, we really wanted to get back to nature. Yeah. So we bought our property in the Santa Cruz, in uh, Aptos Hills. Yep. All we could afford was from like uh, basically a, a nothing but bare land, 10 acre property. Yeah. Had no well, had no electricity. And, and at this time, Santa Cruz had one of the... The best. The best, like, it was, 99 plants. Know, 7.126 yep. for those who suffered under it or gained from it. Um, yep. But that was, you know, that had... Uh, square footage allotment, yep. 99 plants. So it really yep. opened up um, the for folks who were trying to be the leading edge of yeah. legal. In as long Canada. as you had them so in 10 by was, 10 plots. Yeah, so it was a perfect uh, perfect place for in that point in time to do what you did, yep. right? And so and then I assume that those that piece of property you know, you started to really be able to put on some of the things that now you guys are doing in the the new space of um, kind of a sustainable farming whole systems approach to this thing, and yes. regenerative ag and, you know, all the, the lessons of microbes and how to encourage the right kind and work with the life in your soil that you got the the crash course firsthand up there, right? And, yeah. and, um, and then that kind of brings us to... Prop 64 happens. You have two years to kind of until 2018 um, to try to figure out your licensing and how you land. And uh, unfortunately, Santa Cruz County are the local ordinance that replaced the one that we were just talking about, the yeah. 99 plant ordinance or something, was um, more much more restrictive yeah. to, without going into the details. A lot of folks who were legal tax paying um, medical businesses were not able to transition. Um, you guys were, but not in probably the way that you expected, right? So yeah. Can you go over the little backstory of how you landed in your current property? And, sure. Um, yeah, and then we can start talking about the exciting farming you're doing there now. For sure. So um, the current property we're in is in Watsonville, uh, right down the road from here. Uh, we realized early on in 2016, 2017, that uh, we saw the writing on the wall. We knew the commercial ag was going to be the winner yeah. for properties and our property up in the mountain was uh, TPZ and SU. And so we're like, you know what, let's start looking now because uh, people are going to come down. They're going to flood into Santa Cruz County and take all the commercial ag properties. And we're probably going to be uh, left out in the cold. So we decided to start looking and we landed this 20 acre property uh, through word of mouth, really. Yeah. And at that time, we actually had somebody that was going to be an investor. Um, you know, we we were like, man, we're not going to be able to make it through. We were hearing astronomical numbers of what yeah, what people yeah. were estimating you needed to have. Because it's just the price of the real estate mayhem on top Plus of the startup. cannabis 
bubble regulation yeah, license yeah. costs land use planning department etc yeah um so we were like okay so we had this investor guy and he basically uh we were, we were about to buy the property through him and he basically flaked out but in that process the owners of the property got to know me and terry ah, and so they great. approached us right afterwards they're like hey man sorry that this guy was you know such a dick but you know hey do you guys want to know want to lease the property from us oh, and so at that point we were like hey you know if you want to if you if if you want to lease the property to us, I'd love to. And so that, that opportunity uh, came out of that. Yeah. Because we were actually already throwing in the towel and we were like, oh, we're done. You know, this property is not going to pass through. This guy is a shithead. So now we don't have our investor. What are we going to do? And uh, we decided to just pull second mortgages on our property and just like, you know what, we're just going to fund this ourselves yeah. and uh, roll the dice. Yeah. Um, we, you know, at, at this point, we we're like, we know nothing else. You know, we're, we're going a decade deep already in, in growing cannabis and making full spectrum oils. And, you know, we did the whole shift uh, into recreational and, you know, we weren't going to stop. Yeah. And, and so you've landed at this spot, which, you know, when people say commercial ag, your spot isn't exactly the same flat ground commercial ag parcels that people think about, but it's got the right zoning and you're right on the, the rolling hills there. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a nice thing and it's not quite coming off the mountaintop to the flat no, ground. No. Um, and so how you, you've had the uh, transition from the old parcel to this new spot because of local regulation. Yes. And then how, um, what other, like, how's your farming methods been transitioning? And so, I know you still are on the same ethos of, you know, building life and all that. But yes. yeah, how's your, you know, personal um, kind of arc with this stuff been influenced by the state regs? So, I mean, uh, microclimate um, and Appalachia were a, a, a valid concern uh, because we were 1,600 feet elevation in yeah. our old grow. And now and, you're at a few hundred. And, and now we're at a few hundred in what we used to call Fogsonville back in the day. Yep. Um, yep. And so we were very nervous about that. We were like, man, our, our butt is, you know, botrytis free. Yep. You know, our brick system was already impeccable of seven years working that soil. Yep. You know, our, our microbe life was, was incredible. I mean, so we were just really bummed to have to abandon all yeah, that. Start, you're, start you're brand new. all of the, the life that you've built for years and years and yeah. years. And those are your frontline workers. To get to like, you know, fog in the morning that rolls through. Luckily where we're at. Yeah, I, yeah I, a little bit. That's why I was, it's we're just in the back. a little bit higher we're, we're than super lucky. Fogsonville. Yes. <laughs> if you're like by airport, it's literally um, a, a huge difference from where my property is. Yeah. And so like, I, I feel like Mount Madonna, which is right there and it's all full of redwood trees. I feel like that's drawing in a lot of the fog faster so it doesn't really sit on the plants and it's kind of blowing through and moving at a, at a fast rate. Um, but aside from that, we actually are able to get, we actually do get enough sun. And I was very fearful of that. I was like, man, there's never any sun in Watsonville. What are we going to do? Yeah. And um, in actuality, we actually do get a good amount of yeah, sun. Plants don't need, plants don't need much that much. People think. No. Uh, all right, so you're you you know you've landed at this spot that is compliant, yep. you know that's compliant for the you know new rules, and you're going forward with. But you said before you left all your old soil microbes, all that Everything. work behind. Everything. And so before the show, where you're showing me some pictures of some Hugo beds, yep. and can you talk about how starting over in a if your end goal is you know the sustainable systems approach, and talk a little bit about carbon sequestering and the yeah. restorative, you know. Sure. restorative process that we're going through on this process of build, you know, yeah. building soil and all. So, 
there's many methods, obviously, to organic cultivation. Uh, I, I don't think that not one is better than the other. It's yeah. just really what's suitable for your environment and what's suitable for you and your working method. And so we found uh, in a companion planting um, situation, you're getting the best of every single type of nutrient, microbe, um, you are just benefiting by what those plants are giving, whether it's a plant, whether it's creeping thyme that's attracting a lacewing and the lacewing's job is to eat the root aphids. And so you're creating this ecology yeah. just by knowing the science of what these plants can do, what they attract. Are they nitrogen fixers? Are they uh, uh, ground cover to keep your soil yeah. moist? You know, the Three Sisters is a, is a old-school permaculture that goes back to the Incas. Yeah, the corn, beans, and squash. Correct. Right. And and that is just as uh, as basic as it gets. Yes. We, we liked Hugo Coulter because since you, when you're growing cannabis as one of your main crops, you know, you want to be able to have a situation where roots can make it to uh, really far points. And, you know, when you're working in a no-till situation or anything like that, there's specific crops that, that can that can really thrive. Yeah. And and talk a little bit about, so, I mean, I'm familiar with Hugo culture, uh -huh. um, but can you talk a little bit about sure. just oh, what it is for everyone course. out there? Because I was... I was surprised and when I heard about it years ago, and I still don't quite understand sure. all the nuances, and I've buried some pieces of wood, but yeah, yeah. tell so, us about it. So basically, it's a form of carbon sequestration by digging long trenches and then burying logs. Yeah. Um, and then now you're not only burying logs, you're now mixing in brush, twigs, other uh, different size logs, and then you're also adding... Um, soil chicken manure yeah and, and backfilling and ba yeah you're yeah. backfilling so basically you're creating a trench and then you're building soil and building biology as a mound over On the top. top of that and so it's almost like a raised bed it looks like a raised bed from you know a distance but you know in actuality you have these huge logs that are buried under there there the the point of that is that not only are you finding a better purpose to put these logs and sequester the carbon in a, in a much more ecological friendly way uh you're releasing it slowly into your soil yeah right and your soil needs carbon yeah uh your soil needs um and so your logs are retaining the moisture. So in a place like California where drought is a serious issue, you know, this moisture retention is, is, is yeah, real. Yeah, and that's the thing that drew me to it in the as an interesting um, concept. But um, so the and to clarify, the, the way that you're talking about is you've got wood that's going to break De down. It's going to decay. And that carbon through that natural decay process is going to go up into the air, or if you burnt it all, it would go up into the air, right. into the atmosphere. Correct. But by burying it, you're putting that carbon back into the soil. Correct. And then you're also getting these benefits of when that woody material breaks down, it is broken down by microbes yep. and also is producing, we were talking earlier about, you know, it's great for the fungal networks yeah. and mycelium in your soil oh, yeah. and um, not to dive too far into the soil biology and things but you know uh, you want a balance for cannabis or these type of plants. Sure. You want some sort of balanced uh, ratio between your bacteria species and your fungal networks in the soil. And bacteria is a lot easier to grow than fungi. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so ha by having that at the as your base, it creates this awesome fungal content in in your soil and then it also keeps the when that wood breaks down that like fungal dominant compost or humic matter in there holds a ton of 
of Moisture. water oh, yeah. and the the wood as it's breaking down holds more water that's you know and, and it's composting as you go along yeah. so it's the gift that keeps on giving yeah and in those systems you're talking you're, you're talking from a living soil no-till perspective so you're not going to go in there and break it all up and no. break up these fungal networks that you're making right. so you're making bed these hugoculture rows mounds um that you're planning on using for a long time yeah. and um and so doing this under the uh I, I mean i don't i don't know that there isn't but i don't know of any other licensed cannabis farmers at this point doing hugoculture beds yeah and you said you earlier you're doing twenty two thousand square, square feet foot. is your goal of hugo beds yeah. and um yeah that's that's got to be a process it's a process. We're building 20 right now, um, and those 20 are 76-foot length rows. and rows and three foot wide. And so, and then so, you know, w- the problem, the other problem is getting enough wood. I mean, these yeah. things are taking up so much wood, which is a great thing. I mean, we cleaned up my neighbor's whole property uh, with all this crazy brush. I mean, I, I think we might have even saved his marriage because <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's like, "Yeah, get that crap out of here." And so I, I, I look at him and I'm like, "Yeah, your garbage is my gold." Yeah. So bring it down. And it was just all this old oak and this great, you know, brush, sagebrush. Uh, we just had a lot of, you know. Uh, wonderful ingredients to add to our yeah, and, trenches. and when you're doing these, you're you're looking for what's readily available first right. and foremost. Yep. But then a diversity of these wood sources probably means the end of the thing is more diversity in your yeah. soil, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so these things are three feet wide. Three feet wide. How about how 76. high you pile them up? We're gonna go. So if you if once you get to ground level, then we're probably gonna go another two two and a half feet above above. Uh, we want to go three, uh, but it's, you know, it's a lot harder. Um, you know, you got the cannabis plant. We're growing full term. We're actually not doing autoflowers this year. Oh, great. So they're going to get to a decent size. Yeah. Um, and that's going to create some overlap and it's going to create some shade. So what we want to be pretty strategic about is the plants that we're going to companion plant. Yeah. And that's what I want to get to next. Talk about your strategy. You, you said earlier that you've got different companion plants for yeah. different purposes. So right. w- what are you doing for your ground cover? What are you doing to attract the beneficials on these particular sure. Hugo beds? So purslane is something we, we use a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, purslane is just, it's great. It's easy. It creates great ground cover. Um, but squash, squash, you know, we grow food crops, food crops. We yeah. grow many varietals of crops, uh, many varietals of food crops, herbs, uh, beneficial, um, edible plants, you know, and, 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 you know, they all serve a purpose, Yeah. but, but, you know, we're, we're, we plan to feed people with these crops and we also actually feed a lot of our accounts. Hey, yeah. Your workers and our workers and even our dispensaries, yeah, yeah. even so, our dispensary workers, we give them um, fresh produce as well. No, that's great. It, it's, it's so, I mean, it's something that was there in a lot of the old medical gardens, so yep. the interplanting of food crops with the, the medical crops. Sure. Um, but in the new model, you know, we're sitting here at a farm that does produce blueberries, does mm-hmm. produce cannabis, but to, to think about getting back to interplanting these things. And it's really a, a cool paradigm shift because a lot of people would think about, oh, you're going to put 
squash into your cannabis rose, that's just going to rob you of all your nutrients and this and that. But the you're saying no, these these uh, if done in the right way, you're not worried about not having enough life and things to feed your cannabis yep. plants. You're yep. you're trying to bring more diversity into your soil system, into this little garden ecosystem, um, and you see that that is a net benefit. Not so, you're not going oh I'm wasting my precious nutrients that I bought in a you know 55 gallon drum well, on this stuff that and then also pat you know like 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 my architect for example he's like you know that you can fit 300 you're not going to put 300 cannabis plants in here because you're going to have a carrot and you're going to have kale yeah and you're going to and so in a in a in a place where we're, we're working our way into a commodity crop and every single plant counts yeah. you know i i do get looked at you know get crazy yeah, looks yeah, by yeah. some by other cannabis growers they're like what are you doing and yeah. i'm just like listen i'm trying to do something else here i'm not just trying to produce factory produce plants here i'm trying to i'm trying to create an equal system i'm trying to prove that this system works on a commercial level and prove that you can actually save money cut costs be good to your environment you know build soil help with erosion recycle your own waste you know not use so much water and then again those logs right once those logs get buried and soil hits it and other wood chips and other stuff hits it now you're getting that 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 wood is also going to suck up nitrogen yeah so that wood's going to have nitrogen it's going to release also back into the soil on top of the cover crops that you're going to going to put on your hugel yeah, that are putting, things that are putting nitrogen in. from your yeah. topsoil down so you're getting it at all angles yeah and, and that kind of brings us to the next you're saying that what you're doing is really doing something different you know and it, when that's your response i'm trying to do something different yeah. here and so in order for it's kind of like the organic food movement right is that there is a certain desire to not be the conventional food production system. It doesn't all work. Sorts of, yeah, it doesn't work for you, doesn't work for the world, all sorts of reasons. Right. And in cannabis right now, we've had, I mean, cannabis has been intimately involved with the organics movement from totally. day one. Yep. And cannabis for a long time had this kind of special thing going where it was worth more than a lot of other produce. Yep. So you could experiment, you could baby things. Yep. And, um, you know, so that knowledge in farming spread. And it seems like one of the things that we need to do now is build what I know we talk about here on the EnviroCan, you know, cast and with EnviroCan folks about an organic aisle in the cannabis uh, dispensaries and markets. Yeah. And so how do you think that, I th feel like legalization is kind of, or regulation is kind of set back because a lot of the best organic small producers just simply didn't get licenses. Yep. But we are seeing a lot of folks um, from you know traditional regions like Humboldt and uh, you know Mendocino and all the way through the, you know, so, into Salinas Valley and here and in Santa Barbara, places where people are getting into this, that there is going to be, or right now, people who are producing in a different way. We're sitting next to organic plants, um, or enviroorganic plants, I guess, on this show. <laughs> but uh, but so the uh, <laughs> then how does that transfer into? A consumer who comes into a shop or gets a delivery or curbside pickup nowadays totally. and is brought up to speed on the the story that behind these things and yeah. the real reasons why this creates a healthier product for you and the world and uh, so how is the the 
consumer doing right now? How do we get to this organic aisle? And uh, yeah, what's, what's your perspective on all that? So I'm definitely seeing a shift. It's uh, it's slower than I'd like it to, to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're working with different dynamics here, right? You know, like luckily we live in a state where a lot of people are very organically yeah, the minded. Has been the consciousness built. is here. And so people have already been worried about what they're putting into their body mm-hmm. uh, from early from early, from early on. Yeah. And so I've, I've noticed that obviously it's, it's also regional where people are requiring requesting more mm-hmm. organic certified products um, than the whole state. You know, you, pl- you find places like Orange County, for example, where there every other shop is a juice bar and you find all kinds of people always outside jogging yeah. and they're all worried about their, they, they're, they're living that, uh, that that dream in a sense, and they're paying good money for it, yeah. right? And they see cannabis as a health product. And they see cannabis as a health product, and yeah. it's a wellness product. And so, if you see that as a wellness product, and you're putting it into your body, and you care, and you're yeah, shopping at Whole hit Foods, the same standards as the rest of correct, your products. Correct. So the hardest part is convincing those who don't understand that concept, mm-hmm. um, because you have a lot of weed smokers from the old days that I could say a good percentage of them really just never cared, never yeah. really cared, didn't understand, also didn't have the knowledge to 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 care yeah um and so but I, i'm seeing a shift and so the new market is coming in which is a lot of like silicon valley and a lot of other like uh, uh people like the can of curious that yeah. are that are coming in and they're coming in already asking for more organic product great um and the certification thing is is uh is real because you know there's a lot of people that really go by that document yeah and they want to know that this it's been vetted yeah and i mean that's why we're here on this cast and and the name of the cast of cleaner than your vegetables is like that's the message we want to get out right is that the even any licensed cannabis product you know is probably at a bar cleaner than any conventional vegetable product and if you're going above and beyond with these like organic best practices or beyond organic practices and then you get some sort of certification like the Envirogenic. Right. Um, that's you know, that's as far as we can go today as doing what you see on every health food store shelf is a million certifications of you know, so that people yeah. know that this is really what because people care what they're putting in their body. Third party vetted. Um, and yeah. so that brings us kind of to my next, you know, issue or question here is um, you know, uh We've got things like the state equivalent, organic equivalency that was supposed to come in 2020, yep. now 21, 22. Yep, um, I just sent out an email. Know, and, and then we also, so that's one way of, that we're going to be able to officially differentiate ourselves in yep. the marketplace. We also have, we've got right now the county of origin. So a lot of these places like Santa Cruz, Humboldt, oh, we got the... Uh, yeah, irrigation coming on. Beautiful. It's all good. Um, so uh, that have the county of origin, so protect the so the products that come from Santa Cruz or Humboldt or in these places that are associated with good weed can, you know, brag about that and people know it's official. We're gonna get the Appalachian soon, which is you know more open-ended where farmer like-minded farmers from a, a region you know Coralitas Appalachian mm-hmm. is where we might be sitting in the future um, right now and so how do all of these things come in you know especially that uh, the organic piece and then with our getting our Appalachians to to emphasize these production methods not just sure. the region and how's that all fit together with this organic I, aisle and where we're going I would say it's pivotal um, I would say it's so important um, on a national level and on an international level, especially 
but I mean, even on a state level, you know, uh, Santa Cruz has the the popularity. I mean, you you twenty percent, twenty to thirty percent of the work is already done for you as far as yeah. reputation, marketing. Like you come from a place like Santa Cruz, and it's like if you're not organic, like what what are you doing? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. why are you in Santa Cruz? No, I, I feel uh, yeah, I've, I'm you know grew up here and yeah. that's part of our legacy and history and really the only thing that i feel like i have to play a part in and keep the 100%. tradition going is the counterculture cannabis and the new ways to go about everything but especially food production you it's know? so important this is the birth of organic you yeah. know and even though i wasn't born and raised here i plan on dying here yeah no that's it's and and this is the place and that's what that tradition has been i'm the benefactor of all the years of people coming to a place that would allow With them the to live their passion and do yeah. their dream and be free refuge yeah. you know in some senses um so yeah i know we've thanks for sitting for so long we've got uh, oh, no a cut you know maybe a couple more closing things i wanted to talk to you about um your full spectrum oil while sure. i have you here and really just um from my perspective Oh, slipping a little. From my perspective, that's the the magic of the plant, you know, and yeah. it, it's you're harnessing it. It's there for folks to be able to heal themselves um, in, by flooding their endocannabinoid system with not just cannabis, but the full spectrum of different sure. cannabinoids. And um, tell us about how you know that product in particular, how you got started on that, and I think you're relaunching that into the... Yes. Yeah, great. So we, we were out of the market for like three or four months. Uh, since January, we had to come out of our old packaging when the new regs came in yeah, this last January. Just for compliance just reasons. Just for compliance and, reasons. And, yeah. and so we, you know, we, we had some snags there, um, you know, with, with, with what we were going through with design and this and that, and then back and forth. And so we're now coming out with a couple of other ratios that we didn't have from before. Mm -hmm. And so we have our tried and true that we've been doing for a long time uh, with specific ratios of cannabinoids and with specific ratios of terpenes. Yeah. And so we feel... Since we everybody already knows about the entourage effect, I feel like the mm -hmm. education's getting out there. Um, so we want to dial in more of ratios. Yeah, you know, we really, really want to dial in more of ratios. Like you know, having all the constituents of the plant in its entirety as much as possible. Yeah, and, and so, you're you're using an alcohol. We're actually no, we're no, not. No, no. What are you? We're actually, what are you doing and, now? And so I've I've had many debates with people about this. Yeah. Um. And I and not that the alcohol oils don't are the efficacy is not there it's not yeah. about that to me i feel like when you have to purge the alcohol out and you have to heat it to that high heat you're losing so much you're in the heating process so much. cold all the way alcohol captures things great but then how do you get rid of all the alcohol correct yeah so um so with that note i'm so i was always it was a conundrum for me right because yeah. i'm like oh my god solvent and there was so much like you know talk about like how you using solvent but then i actually did my research and then i realized like you know okay you know, these, these, this, this thing is, is nonpolar solvent, you know, it, it's going to capture the specific things that I'm, I want to capture in the yeah. extraction and that otherwise would be lost. Yeah. And there's a reason why people who like to dab love, uh, solvent concentrates yeah. because you have, this is so terpy. Yeah. Right? And I feel like the, in the last really five years, but it, since the uh, residual solvent test came out with the yep. labs and yep. people started building that consciousness, yep. we were getting zero parts per million uh, things that you could really trust to, to use in these products. So it's cool. It's, it's cool that you're using those, uh, you've got the type seven license and are able to get, or someone with that license yes. to be able to source that. Yep. And that's, it's so awesome 
my favorite presentation of anything is something that's you know cold all the way so you're not losing any of those terps and mm -hmm. you're able to have the best presentation of the plant and if i was you know trying to heal someone i want the best presentation of the plant concentrated as i can as my starting point right. and that's what you're giving in those the and, and that's uh, the point in residual free oil right yeah. yeah you want it to be residual free as well so you know you're, you're 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 covering the back end by making sure that anything else that could taint it or otherwise call it dirty uh you're you're fixing so yeah. you're making sure our, our so we have strict sops and we have no winterization process either so it's not like we're making it no so you're not losing things we're in not losing there. anything yeah. like that uh all the plant lipids are intact plant esters waxes everything is intact as much as possible you're gonna lose some because you know you're gonna get more of that when you're doing an alcohol yeah. Uh, uh, base so that's that is the beauty of that but again you lose it when you when you when you purge it yeah and so we want to keep as much of that as possible so we feel like this is honestly one of the best methods for us that's great that's great um so wonderful i know you got to go any last closing statements we hope to see you again in real life and maybe on the cast yeah. soon so i feel like we could talk forever I, yeah. I, I love uh, I love that EnviroCan exists. You know, we've been, you know, certified already since 2018. And uh, the fact is that they're, you know, their diligence, they, they really, really uh, go hard when it comes to investigation on what you got going on and your best management yeah. practices. And it's not just like a nutrient-based certification. Uh, you know, you're like, are you saving water? Um, yeah. how, are you, how are you using the land to the best of your ability uh, to be good to your environment? And so I feel like, you know, uh, there's not many certifications uh, companies out there. Yeah, and it really is a like beyond that. organic. It really and the is. The third-party verification is the way to go. We, it's I huge. mean, we t if we haven't talked much about the horror stories that people have out there, but if you know people have had, it's a big deal if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna go purchase your full spectrum oil. You want to know where that farm, yes. you know, how they're doing, and you want more than just the BCC and the company's word for it. Yep. Often, because so much is on the line with these tests. So uh, that's really great, and thank you, Manny. It's it's been awesome, and uh, yeah, let's keep burying those logs and sequestering that carbon. Hell yeah, I love it. <laughs> All right, great.